This is the Yay. I'm Reg Clay. And Norman G. This is the Yay, where we talk about life in the theater and the theater of life. Yay! Central, uh, we are uh, sponsored by Central Works, a new play theater, um, headed up by uh, Jan Zleifler and Gary Graves. Central Works, reinventing theater one play at a time. And as always, we thank Central Works for sponsoring the Yay. Happy uh, 2021, and uh, we have a special guest, Melissa Ortiz, or yeah. Melissa Haynes, for, uh, you know, you go by both names. All of I, it. I think your professional yeah. name is for Melissa Ortiz. Yes, yes, it is. See, uh, my maiden name is Ortiz, so that's how I started, and then I married Christian Haynes. And, right you know. on. <laughs> and uh, you are a, I want to call you a veteran actress. Uh, you are a regular at the uh, the playground, and also you've done work at the Marin uh, Shakespeare, I'm sorry, not Marin Shakespeare, Marin SF Theater SF Shakespeare last summer. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. How are you doing this morning? I'm doing great. Great. Right Have my tea here. I'm, I'm ready, <laughs> ready for talking. Yeah, I'm a little bit more uh, caffeinated. I've got my little. Um, they've got these cute little um, Canada Dry Bold. I mean, it's uh, wow. seven seven point five ounces. I mean, it's teeny. Let's weeny. wait a minute. Let's see that again. I want to see that. Yeah, it's a uh, teeny teeny bold. weeny. <laughs> what does that mean? Is it uh, well, like it's highly caffeinated. Well, it's it's ginger. You know how Norman and I, Norman knows me enough to know that I love my ginger ale, and now they have a ginger ale which is gold instead of silver, and it's got a bolder taste. Ooh. Ooh. And uh, yeah, that's that's my thing. That's my little addiction. I don't have a lot of vices, but those are my vices. Um, Norman, as I begin every podcast, how was your week? Tomorrow is my fifth anniversary. We are going. She doesn't know this, and she never listens to the podcast, so I can say anything. It's great. Um, we're going to the Claremont tonight. We're going to stay at the Claremont. Uh, we're going to go for dinner. I did tell her this part. We're going to go for dinner to the restaurant that we went to when I proposed. Um, we're not going there. We're going to go pick up food there and then take it back to the Claremont. There better be something exciting to do at the Claremont. Um, and then uh, tomorrow we will brunch and then, you know, life. <laughs> yeah. Well, you do have the place to yourself. I don't know mm. if Dexas will be around. Well, we're going to the Claremont. We're we're going to stay overnight at the Claremont. Oh, I understand. I understand. Yeah. On our wedding night, we that was one of the gifts somebody gave us. Uh, but they gave us, I found out, the deluxe suite, which is almost twice as much money as as that. We still get a bay view. We just aren't in the deluxe. I'm like, oh no, I'm not. <laughs> and this is, and again, stuff she's never going to hear. Um, so my plan had been. Uh, there's a, I, people don't know about this, but in Richmond, uh, there are little islands around Richmond and one of them is called East Brothers. There was a lighthouse there. There is still a lighthouse there. And that is now, I think, connected to the National Park Service. Um, and you can, it's a bed and breakfast. And it's really hard to get reservations. And I got a reservation and then about a month ago they went, not happening, Sorry. Oh, uh, but I mean, hey, the Claremont, I'm glad the Claremont is still open and uh, that should yeah. be nice. That should be really, really nice. Um, yeah, it should be beautiful. Five anniversary. I mean, you know, year five. I mean, I remember when we began the yay, I think it was uh, I think you had your first anniversary or you were coming close to your first. Um, that would have been. Yeah. Sixteen. I no, I just had my excuse me, just had my first. Yeah. And I remember when I was helping you pack and, uh, you know, I think you were telling me I'm not sure if you had when you moved to, um, you know, the place where you are now. Had you been married yet, or did you tell me you were going to get married? No, we, um, so Mara had this house. Mara and her ex bought this house. 
and then he had moved out and you know we she was occasionally dating people and then she was dating me and then I was spending the night which made me very nervous because Dexter was right down the hall um but you know it all worked out yeah yeah Melissa how long have you been married uh 11 years wow nice so I'm doing the math that would be 2010 2009 2009 September 09 919 <laughs> nice nice, nice. Yeah, right? very very yeah, nice, that's my, that's my nice and, and and you're still smiling and happy you guys oh, haven't you know <laughs> he's the best <laughs> he's just the best right um, on well that's yeah. when you were talking about uh Valentine's Day. I was like you gotta have them when you told me you got Melissa I'm like no, you should have them both on. <laughs> no, I didn't, I didn't know about Chris Haynes, and I didn't know uh, that, uh, you know, the two of you, did you two meet via theater? Yeah, we did. We met in grad school. Um, oh. Yeah. Oh, I yeah, can't yeah. wait. I can't wait to hear this. Yeah, yeah. So we met in grad school, and uh, he, uh, we started, like, you know, making out within, like, the first week of school, which was a terrible idea. It's a terrible fucking idea. Like it was seven of us, right? There were seven. We went to the National Theater Conservatory in Denver, which is now uh, extinct. And um, there were only seven of us for a three-year program and it was a full ride and they paid us the living stipend. It was sweet. So so when we started making out, I was like, Melissa, this is not gonna end well. Like you have to spend three years with these people. Um, but, uh, it did work out and, uh, we, uh, fell in love and everything was easy and wonderful and great. And, um, and I think it was actually easier because we were in school. It was such a stressful time, but we had no, um, there was no time to, to, to hide who we were or to, you know, it's like you got who we were, all of us, all the vulnerability, all of it, like sort of you know, at the same time, because we were super vulnerable with everyone in the class. It was just like, we were always open. So, Mm -hmm. so that made it a lot easier. There was no pretense. It was just like, this is clearly who I am. Like, you know, we're family now. So do you want to, do you want to marry me? Cause that's cool. Ah! (laughs) Wow. Yeah. We started living together second year. And then by third year we were engaged. It was just like, when we started living together, it was like, this is, this is it. You know, we both knew it. Um, and there was no surprise about like, oh, we're getting married. It was like, we knew that this was as good as it could get. It was wow. just too awesome. Yeah. So well, it's been, awesome. yeah, it's been really great. Now I was just going to say, it reminds me, I remember, um, in theater history, learning about Stanislavski and when he began his theater company in the turn of the century, how his group were very intimate with, with each other. I mean, not necessarily sexually intimate, but you know, they were, they were a family and some actually did get married and it shows just how the intimacy of theater and how bearing your soul. And, you know, there's a connection that you have with, you know, your fellow um, theater mates that, you know, can really cross into, you know, romance and all that stuff. So that's wonderful. We love hearing that stuff. And yes, as Norman has anticipated for the yay, for those who are listening on February, the entire month of February will be dedicated towards individuals who have fallen in love via theater. And we're going to have couples. Couples. Yeah. Yeah. So that's going to be really, really cool. Um, there've been a couple of current events. Well, obviously the mother of all current events would be, you know, what happened on Wednesday. And we talked a little bit about that last week. Um, yeah. How did that, um, Melissa, how did that hit you? I mean, were you shocked when you 
heard about it. And, you know, there are even new things. I mean, I was listening to an interview by Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, and she talked about there may be evidence that there were members of the House um, Republican who may have helped in this, you know, in this uh, insurrection by letting people in and giving them information. So I don't know if that's true or not, but, you know, how did it hit you? Yeah, nothing surprises me anymore, man. This is like, it was, you, we're talking about the storming of the castle, right? It was like, it was, it was right. so, it was, I, you know, we were home and I am, I'm a highly anxious person, just for the record, you know, um, this COVID uh, crisis has, has put me in a, in a very like, um, extreme mental, like further, you know, furthered my anxiety even more than I realized. So I ended up, you know, calling Kaiser and getting the help I needed. I'm, I'm on a low dose of um, antidepressants right now, which is um, amazing um, because it's really helped me. I'm like, I totally promote this. Um, but they, the Kaiser was really great. They were like, take some medication and have some um, therapy, cognitive behavioral therapy. And they put me on a plan. And, and so I've been do I've been going through this like really great mental health journey, you know, um, through COVID-19 basically since October. And um, so this was a great, uh, not great, but it was like a challenge for me to see all, you know, all of this happening in Washington and, 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 and all of this hatred. And, and so, you know, Christian and I were watching it and, you know, it was just like, you know, and reading about it and doom scrolling. And, and eventually I was like, I have to stop, but, but I, you know, I wasn't surprised because, you know, I knew there would be riots. I knew that, you know, white supremacy would not, you know, right. Well, it lightly. was in the papers. It, it was everywhere. Exactly. Everybody exactly. was reporting that this was going to happen, that they were planning to do it. Exactly. So, you know, it just, it just hurt to see it. You know, it just was, I was sad. I was anxious. I, I, I was sad. I was afraid. I was, you know, despairing, you know, in, you know, at a loss for our country and, and what these, what this very loud vocal minority was, was trying to do. And like, how depressing that, you know, their delusions are this strong and also the feeling of powerlessness. Like I can't change the way these people think, you know, and the fact that, you know, this is all fueled and has been fueled for the past four years by, you know, a nut job president, you know, um, so it's just been, you know, it's just like, well, there's another, it's just when we thought it couldn't get any worse or couldn't get any crazier, you know, here we go, you know, just hate and anger and fear just fueling everything. So, um, so yeah, that's how I felt about it. It was lovely. Yeah, you know, it's, 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 no, but thank you so much for for being so open about and, uh, you know, I was talking to another friend of mine, we were having actually a Christian conversation about just are, are um, mentally, I mean, psychologically, this entire year and really the entire age of Trump has put us through. I mean, I, I was looking at CNN and there was this a reporter reporting about the deaths of COVID-19 and she had she just broke down and cried. And so emotionally. Right. Yes, yeah, I, did, I saw that. Yeah. Did you see that? Yeah. And yeah. Uh, it emotionally, it's put everyone through the ringer. And, you know, I've had friends of mine, you know, even the George Floyd, I had a black friend, and matter of fact, a black friend of ours, uh, Shay Angela Acevedo, <laughs> um, admit that he cried, you know, right. uh, because it was just too much. And so I wonder about America, our mentality, our, our emotional state of being. Um, but a question I had for you, Norman, is, I mean, well, I guess for both of you, there's this thing, this is apparently a white 
uh, it's white power. Did you know this? This symbol? Oh, the okay. Yeah. Oh, the uh, this this thing. The yeah. okay symbol. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There have been yeah. reports. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yes. Uh, yeah, I did, I, that's new to me. I didn't realize because it's I was fairly new. Yeah, I, I hadn't heard it before last year. So there have been reports that you know, folks in the Capitol, and even you know, you know, when people are doing interviews or whatever, all of a sudden someone will just occasionally yep. do this and very blatantly do this as a, I guess, a show of white power. But then again, it's like, is it white power? Is it okay? I mean, it, you know, what what is it? There are lots of strange things that are just happening, and and now the inauguration. The inauguration is going to be Wednesday, and we don't know what's going to happen then. I mean, right. our lives are—it's almost like a, a shield episode. It's like a, one of these FX episodes, or you know, one of these uh, strange. Um, what are these movies that Gerard Butler is always doing? Like, um, like there's a siege on the Capitol or something. Something is falling. Mm -hmm. it, it just feels like you know one of those things. So yeah, and I just I'm really upset that they you know they took over something that was so like normal and like, you know, all these old people who haven't heard about it are just going to be like, Hey, okay. Yeah. And, um, and people are going to call them racists and that's not cool. It's a nice, it's okay. It's a nice symbol. Like, right. Exactly. Why you got it? Why you got to co-op that? <laughs> right. <laughs> Make and up your own new hand signals. Like, come on. <laughs> right. Exactly. And, and I'll just throw a little bit of a uh, history, just a little bit of history wonk. Cause I'm a little bit of a history wonk, but Martin Van Buren, the eighth president, they called him old kinder, kinder hook yes the abbreviation is okay and so that yes. was the first one of the first interpretations of okay so it goes well, back and that, to that was that was a um that was a publicity thing they were they were pushing that as part of his campaign <clears throat> exactly and those were the very very first stages because you know in the colonial period you did not campaign you know it was, it right. was forbidden for a president or it was just it was considered uncool to campaign, and this yeah. is really the first time of campaign. This is back can in the Can we go back 1830s. to that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I don't know. Right. I mean, I, I would have been, it wouldn't have been good for me. Uh, I guess you're right. No, no. You're right. <laughs> no, Betty, just that. Just the, just yeah. the no campaigning. <laughs> guess who's 99 years old? Yes! Betty White. Betty White. Betty White. I oh, love, my this heart is it. singing. Yeah, Yesterday or two days ago? Two yeah, days ago, I think. Yeah, I think so. She she just will not. And I think she's got a uh, some sort of a, uh, I don't know if it's a YouTube thing or it's, it's a television show a series going on, but she's working. Yeah, I think she's, yeah, I think it's a show. Yeah, I want to be like Betty White when I grow up. You know, she's, yeah, she's awesome. <laughs> Seriously, she's an idol for sure. I, yeah. Well, and it cracks me up. She's been old forever. When I was a kid watching Mary Tyler Moore show, I thought she was the old woman on the show. Yeah. Boy, you look at the pictures now, and you're like, "Oh, damn she she was not this this is old." Yeah, and the Golden Girls. I mean, all of the Golden Girls have died except for her. Oh, I didn't realize that. Damn. Yeah. 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 Even Jeez, the, that was the best. I would watch the Golden Girls constantly. Yeah. Um, growing up, and it was amazing. No, the there was the actress. I don't know the actress's name, but she played the oldest. Although she was rather, she wasn't really that old. They just she put was her the in youngest. Yeah, yeah, she was the youngest, and even she's passed away. So Betty White, go for it. And ah. this this is funny. I mean, this deals with Trump, but this is sort of the absurdity of it all. So Rudy Giuliani has been working so hard to get Trump, and you know, going through the court proceedings and all that stuff. Now Trump won't pay him. Right. Apparently, I saw that. <laughs> I think that's hilarious. I mean, he was supposed to be getting twenty thousand dollars a day. Can you believe that? And well, I mean, that's he why he did it. Good, he didn't well, right. do a very good job. No, he did a horrible job. He did a horrible job. But I mean, 
I honestly think people keep on telling me that Trump is a multimillionaire. I don't believe it. I nah, don't dude. Believe it. Nah, nah. They, he is not. He's not. He's broke. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You're absolutely right. So that will be the next reality show. All the <laughs> can't wait. Of Trump. Yeah. Yeah, like Trump, like in the gutter, like mm-hmm. Trump. Yeah. Trump in the projects. <laughs> because you know, I think a Deutsche Bank, which is uh, one of the largest banks, you know, in the world, they've cut him off. And yep. I think he owes them, I think, $3.1 billion. And, yeah, it's an insane know, amount of money. If they call right. him on that, you know, I don't, I'm not sure how he's going to be able to pay that off. Um, I'll leave the last button for you before we get into an origin story of Melissa. Just um, are you optimistic about 2021? Are you, you know, with every new administration, especially a Democratic administration, I go back to Bill Clinton, you know, Bill Clinton became president two years later, yet Newt Gingrich and the Contract of America. When Obama came in, two years later, you had Jim Boehner come in. Do you are you optimistic about the Biden administration and the future, or do you think that this white hatred will just continue on long after Trump? I mean, how, how do you feel? Are you optimistic or pessimistic? Um, I am. I'm optimistic because it's helpful for me to be optimistic, right? I feel like that is. I, I could be pessimistic about it because. But but in real, I can't I can't predict the future. So that is my that's my therapy mind talking. <laughs> so um, so I am optimistic um, because I I do think that I do try to remind myself that the people who are storming the Capitol that they are a vocal minority, and I do trust that most of America wants to have some semblance of peace. That doesn't mean that white supremacy isn't a major problem and it doesn't still exist, right? But I don't think every white supremacist wants to, you know, you know, annihilate democracy. Um, I, we're going through some, some serious growing pains and that's gonna take a long time. And, you know, this democracy wasn't designed for radical change. It was designed for incremental, slow change. Um, so, when it's time for a radical change, that's always difficult um, for the country as a whole. So that's sort of my my thing. And you know, probably in two years, it's going to swing back, you know, to the right and to the left, and we'll just keep swinging, making incremental changes over time, um, getting a little bit more fair. You know, we have come a long way, not quick enough, um, but uh, but you know, day by day, if we we keep fighting and we keep protesting and we keep pushing and we keep voting, then, you know, eventually, you know, change does happen. Yeah, no, I think it's well said. And I think that, yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, I mean, you know, when you mentioned that this is a vocal minority, I I do believe that, although I think 80 million people voted for Trump uh, exactly. for, for whatever reason. But I'd like to think that with what happened on the 6th, January the 6th, even those folks who voted for Trump were like, whoa, uh, this is a little too much. Our, I'm already seeing a pivot you know, within members of Congress, You know, those who are saying, wow, I really regret doing what we did. Because you know, a lot of, some of them feel culpable, even if they don't openly admit it. So I'm hoping that this will be a change. And sometimes it takes something like a disaster or a catastrophe of our own making to say, wow, we really crossed the line. We need to step back. And so I'm hoping that, you know, this is, we, we've reached that moment. Absolutely. I mean, I even remember, you know, remember, I don't remember. I read an article about the Nixon. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't alive for Nixon. Sorry, guys. But, um, <laughs> but uh, I, uh, I read an article about, 
you know, even during every impeachment, like Nixon still had the Republican Party behind him for all of that. You know, it wasn't until after, you know, where like, you know, now we judge that differently and we see what happened with Watergate differently. But at the time he had all the backing that, you know, he had a lot of backing until he didn't, right? And right. I think that's the same thing that's happening with Trump. Actually, what's even more um, good is that Trump has less support than Nixon had, you know? Like right. Trump had more defectors than Nixon had um, at the time. So that is actually a, a good sign that he doesn't have as much of the party behind him um, as he historically would. Yeah, yeah, you're absolutely right. And, you know, it's it, it's mind boggling. In 1972, Nixon had won. Not only did he win, it was really a blowout. I mean, I think he sure. won every single state except for one uh, under um, against McGovern. Excuse me. Excuse me. I have to edit that out. You know, dirty politics and, um, and <laughs> yeah. southern but, strategy. Yeah. And I, and I really think that I think one lesson to be learned politically is that if you're too engaged in the politics and winning, rather than policy, you get to cross those lines. I mean, you know, those are the, that's when you, you. Um, I mean, if, if you're so engaged in, well, I've got to defeat the Democrats, I've got to defeat this, and you don't focus on party unity, then you're, you're on the wrong side of history. And I think that Trump is learning it the hard way. And with that, let's I get into so. an, yeah, yeah, let's hope so. Let, let's get into an origin story, Melissa Ortiz. How did you get involved in theater? Where were you born and raised? God, I feel like a superhero when you call it an origin story. I'm like, it is. Wonder you Woman. are a superhero. <laughs> yeah, you are. Very kind. Okay, so how did I get involved in theater? Is the question. Um, I was um, in high school. I had no. I was in middle school. Where were you born? And I raised? had. I was okay, you... so. I was born in Puerto Rico. Uh, raised in Orlando, Florida. My family moved to Orlando when I was like two years old, but I was the youngest of four. Um, so my, and my family was very, very strongly Puerto Rican. So I grew up in like a Spanish speaking household and then an American or an English speaking school basically. So um, as a young kid, um, I did dance and I, I, I loved to perform. Um, mostly just, I could only do dance. My, my household, which isn't uncommon um, in, in Latin households, my father was very machismo. He was, it was unhealthy. It was pretty traumatic. And so um, I could only do like one thing at a time. And even though I wanted to do everything, like my, you know, my family, like we could negotiate like one thing for me to do. And so I did dance, did that all through middle school. And then my brother, my older brother, he's, uh, three years older than me, Jason. He's a gem. He's amazing. He was in a play. He was in Damn Yankees. And that was uh, the first time that I realized that I, that I could do theater, right? I had seen Meet Me in St. Louis was the first, was the first uh, show oh. that I'd ever seen. And it, it was a touring production. It came to Orlando and we went there on a field trip and I was amazed. I was like blown away, but it didn't occur to me at that time that I could do that. You know, I just saw people do it and I was, it was magical. So when I saw my brother doing it in damn Yankees, I was like, that's, that's what I want to do. So by the time I got to high school, I started to audition and, and do, do things. And with, with the, with the theater program at my high school, and I got some relative success. I don't think anyone in high school would have imagined that I would continue to do it for the rest of my life. I wasn't one of the star pupils, right? But um, 
I went, my father passed away when I was about 16 years old of cancer. Um, and while uh, it was sad, it was actually a really good thing because he was very, once again, very abusive. So the abuse stopped and we started to sort of move on as a family. And I gained more freedom than even all of my siblings had had because I was 16. And so I was able to, you know, immerse myself more in theater that really helped me cope with, with all of the turmoil that was in my, you know, it's like, I never wanted to be at home. So I, you know, it's like, I'd always be at rehearsal. And even if I wasn't called to rehearsal, I would still go to rehearsal because I would say that I was called and then I'd like do lights or I'd do sound or, so it was really a refuge for me. Um, and that community was really helpful. Um, so after that, I ended up going to college. I went to a liberal arts school and, um, and I wanted to be responsible, man, I really did not want to do anything, you know, associated with theater. I was like, I can't, I can't make money at that. That's not reasonable. I'm just messing around. And my mother was really my champion when I was like crying on the phone with her. I was good at my academics. Like I never had a problem with it, but I just didn't love it as much as I loved the arts. And I was on the phone with her one day and I was like, I just want to sing and dance and act for the rest of my life. And I was crying. And she was like, and you can, Melissa, you can do that. And so she gave me the permission, even though I was terrified to do it, to continue to pursue this career. So I ended up majoring in music in voice and singing. Damn, I that's, didn't know you sang. Yeah, and I don't sing as much anymore. So that's kind of how I got in because I wanted to do musical theater, right? So I'm, I got doing, I'm taking your an alto. No, I'm actually a soprano. Wow. Yeah. Right um, so, uh, so I... So fine. So I, I finished my, I had majored in music so I could get free voice lessons. Like that was the whole, that was the only reason I declared music as my major early on. And then I kept it as that for, cause I didn't feel like changing it. I was just like, whatever it's done. So I would be, I was in the music department studying music, uh, voice, and then um, auditioning for the plays at the theater and taking acting classes. So, um, and then I was also involved in the dance department and shortly after that, I graduated and realized that like, mm, maybe being a triple threat isn't going to happen since I'm not a triple threat. You know, it's like I kind of started late. I feel like triple threats start in like high school or middle school. And then they like, they're just like star dancers and star singers and they know how to it's act. Cool. And I was like, yeah. So I was like, I'm not there. So I tried to like maybe audition for graduate schools. I, I really love the academic structure and um and I um, ended up, after bouncing around a bit, I ended up getting um, the apprenticeship at Actors Theatre of Louisville. Um, it was one of 22 apprentices. And um, I was like, okay, if I can make it through these nine months and I still like theater after this, then I'm gonna do it, right? Cause I was still very, you know, concerned about a lifestyle in the theater and like what that would mean for me financially and whatnot. So I did nine months of that program and that was like, they didn't pay you back then, right? It was like 2004, 05. And actually Anna Bullard, I don't know if you know Anna. Um, she's mm -hmm. also a local, a former local Bay Area actress. Um, she was my roommate at the time. So that's how I got to know someone from the Bay. Um, so she, so anyway, so I finished the program and I loved it. I was like, I was broke and I didn't care. You know, they didn't pay you. We didn't, you know, we had to pay for all of our stuff. I was on food stamps, but I was just like, I was in it to win it. I was like, I, they, they, we did worked on like 
on on the sets, on the lights. We did changeovers for the Humana Festival. We like we got little bit parts. We got workshops with all these really great directors. And I was like, I can't stop doing this. I love it too much. Moved to New York, spent like a year in New York, and then realized I can't do New York. This I am in over my head. I have no idea how to audition and like live and feed myself. I was terrible at feeding myself. I was like eating ramen noodles and like. <sighs> Anything you can put like hot water on and just like eat instantly. That was my diet <laughs> sick all the time. And, like, I was like, I was like, you know, 120 pounds. And I was like sick all the time. I got like strep throat and like lost my voice working at J crew. It was ridiculous. And so finally, I remember one day I was like in the subway in the middle of winter with a huge down coat on. And then you get into the subway and the subway cars are so hot. Right. And I just started like, overheating and sweating and I was like getting faint because obviously I wasn't eating healthy I didn't know how to eat healthy and I was like holding on to the to the to the handrail and I was like I need I somebody get me out of here I I need to go to grad school I don't know how to do this Hmm. (laughs) so I applied for one school assuming that it would take me years to get into grad school right I knew it was like a process so I applied to one school only because I hadn't missed a deadline for that school. Right. <laughs> at the time that I was trying to do it. So I applied to the National Theater Conservatory. They also didn't require some, there was something else that they didn't require in their um, in their application process. I don't remember what it was. I applied there, I, I got an audition. I went in and auditioned with uh, Daniel Renner, the former head of, of the department. And then I he let me go. And then he called me back in after the audition. I was like, right. what is going on? Call me back in. Um, he worked with me again. And then I was like, well, that was weird, but whatever. And then I got a call back, I got in and I was just like, that's it, I'm doing it. My family also has relocated to Denver for the most part. So now wow. my mother was there, my sister was there, you know, so. Um, Why so did your family it, move to Denver? Well, my sister moved to Denver after she got married because she needed to get the hell out of Florida and she wanted to get as far away as possible yeah, yeah. <laughs> from from my crazy family in Orlando. No, probably not my crazy family. I exaggerate. But, you know, it's like, yeah, once you live in Orlando, you're like, get me the fuck out of here. Mm-hmm. Well, it sounds like all of you are breaking out. I mean, you know, you went to exactly. Louisville and her it's- and... Exactly. My mom even ended up in Miami. She had a blast there in South Beach dancing, you know, salsa. She's a she's a salsa dancer. So Oh yay. Oh yeah. She's she's full on awesome. So um so anyway, so I got into the to, to the program at Denver and um I loved it and I fell in love with my husband and 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 now and then we were we went to New York for a little while. We started we Christian started shots out there, shots um Shots, right. New York City. It's a it's a short five minute play festival because it was 2009 when we moved out and um, the economy was shit. And um, right. and uh, Christian is a go getter. He's like it's like if he doesn't have work to do, he'll just produce it, which is right. great for me because if I don't have work to do, I'll just weep in a corner <laughs> <laughs> and be very sad. No, he he is amazing. That's yeah. I think that's how we met is through shots. Exactly. Exactly. So what no, we but did, I, but I want to say that I didn't really, I'm like, uh, and you're just one of these people. Okay. Whoever it wasn't until you did the utopia show, the uh, uncle Vanya. What was I'm, it? At Seagull. Seagull, right? Seagull. Sorry. Yeah. No worries. I want, I want to do Vanya. I've got Vanya in my, that's on my list now. Vanya's on your mind. But, uh, but no Seagull, I'm sitting there and I notice you sitting across from me and I'm like, 
I know her. And you were sitting with, oh God, what's his name? Sean, uh, Sean Garahan. Yeah. Yes. You're sitting with Sean and I'm like, and I kind of knew Sean. And I was like, oh, okay, that's cool. Wow, they came together. I guess Christian must be in the show. And then you guys started making out. <laughs> and I was like, oh hell, what the, oh my God. And, and I love Christian. So I'm like, um, what the hell? What am I going to, how, how am I going to deal with this? What's going to go on? And then the show starts and they step up and they're part of the show. And I'm like, oh. Thank you, God. Oh my God, you're the first person. I never heard that reaction to that show. Oh, that's that's awesome. That's oh, really it was great. horrible. It was a horrible moment. I was just like, I feel like I am living betrayal right now. It's betrayal is happening in front of me. Oh, one of those pincher pauses. It's great. <laughs> no, it was, and and it got me excited enough that I actually pursued Utopia and ended up working with them. Nice. Oh, that's great. That's great. Well, yeah. So I mean, I was in New York. Christian and I were in New York, and we did shots and we did whatever. But New York just wasn't for us at the time. It was a miserable place to live, and um, and Christian was like, "I got to get out of here. Let's just go to the Bay." And I was like, "I've never been there, but you can take me anywhere. Just get me out of New York right now." And so. We left New York and started been shots here? out here. He had lived here for, yeah, he had lived here for a long time. He grew up in Southern California, went okay. to UC Santa Barbara, and then he had been living in um, in San Francisco and doing the, some theater stuff um, okay. in San Francisco for a while before he moved to New York and then right. um, was at the NTC. So, so yeah, so uh, we came here and to have a better lifestyle and a better quality of life um, while we were pursuing theater on the side. And it's worked out great. I mean, we love it here. We're happy. Um, and uh, and the Bay is the best. <laughs> yeah, you know, so that sounds like 2009, right? So 2009, we moved to uh, New York and we were there until 2012. And in 2012, we came out here. Ah, uh, I see, I see, got it. Mm -hmm. And that was the second administration of Obama. Yeah, yeah, the mm -hmm. subprime loan crisis happened in 2008. That's why things were sort of wonky. Oh, so how, yes. yeah, how was theater in the Bay? I mean, how did you enjoy, I mean, you know, what, did you get involved? Uh, you were involved in Marin Theater. Did you immediately get in there? Nah, dude, it was, a, you know, I learned a lot of lessons from, um, from moving here. Uh, you know, I, in New York, it was like all about who you knew and it was all about connections. And at in 2009 at the time, all the, you know, all the A-list, B-list actors were trickling down into off-Broadway, off-off-Broadway because there wasn't a ton of work to do. So right. they were taking all of our jobs, you know, nor our jobs, like right, applications, yeah. right? Because it's not, that's, you know, I was under this assumption that like, if I was just good enough, you know, and if I that put in the work, and I, yeah, that the, you know, that the cream would rise to the crop and that's total bullshit. That's like not how the right. world works at all. So when I came out to the Bay, I had that total misconception. I was like, we're New York actors. We're going to go in there. We're going to be big fish in the little pond. We're just going to audition for everything. And people are going to, you know, give us jobs and it's going to be great, you know? And it wasn't that at all. Nobody knew who I was. It's like, even if I gave a great audition, like they they would go with who they knew. So I, I did the TBA, um, the TBA uh, auditions. Yeah, the generals. Mm -hmm. I got nothing out of that. I'm also equity. That's another problem because I, had, I think yeah. I had I been non-equity coming to the Bay Area, I probably would have gotten a little bit more traction from the TBA. Oh, I, I would bet money on it. Yes. <laughs> you know, but because I was equity and nobody knew me, I couldn't get my foot in the door anywhere, like mm -hmm. nowhere. And I was so heartbroken and disappointed by that because I was like, I know I've got the goods. I know I have, I have all this training. I've got the confidence. I don't suck. And there's so right. many actors that suck. So oh, yeah. 
I have to at least be good enough to get something. I was like, can't I just meet a Christmas carol at, you know, mm -hmm. anywhere? I love a Christmas carol. Like just right. make me like peasant from, you know, second peasant from the right. And I love it, you know, <laughs> I was like, give me that sweet money, but nothing. So, so it was a bitter pill to swallow. And I had to realize that like, you know, um, every community is, is, it is about who you know, because we're humans and we right. want to know who we're working with and we want to trust who we're working with. And if we're going to be spending, I don't know how many hours with these people in a room, right. we, we want to feel like we're hanging out with friends and we have people that we can trust in the room and it takes time and, and relationships to build that trust. Right. Mm -hmm. So uh, I got a full-time job uh, shortly after we moved here and then I started pursuing, and then Christian did shots. He was like, well, fuck it. If we're not going to, you know, if we can't get our foot in the door, let's make our own work. And, right. um, and we did. And at the time we were able to get an equity contract um, through uh, four shots, which was um, a modified stage reading contract so that we right. could be in it. Right. That's the whole point. Right. And so, and, um, and then shortly after maybe like a couple years, um, then we started, equity started changing their tune. Um, this was around the time that Playground gotten, um, had to, um, couldn't renegotiate their contract with equity, right. you know. So so um, now we can't do shots as an equity contract in the Bay. Right. Um, but luckily- um, Even with all this Zoom stuff? To, yeah, I mean, with Zoom, it's different. Like Zoom, we're fine, you know, um, but- if we wanted to do a live shots with um, equity actors, it'd have to be like a benefit. Um, we can't do it. Right. Right. Um, I mean, at least not economically. Um, anyway, yeah. so we um, so we started shots, and the writers that were writing for shots um, also cross pollinated with playground. And then what happened was um, shortly after that, Colin um, Johnson, I think it was Colin, it might have been another writer, and I apologize mm -hmm. if I'm offending someone. <laughs> they would ask for us to be actors <clears throat> at playground right. um, and Annie didn't know us you know um so mm -hmm. eventually Annie was uh, we were like you know Annie Stewart the uh, casting yeah, Annie director Stewart, the and, and she didn't know us and so oh does she, she art, associate artistic director I think I so, believe she is got yeah, some title, yeah. yeah yeah she's a big she's a big deal Annie. she is <laughs> big deal so she finally um gave us an audition so that we could be part of the pool the actor pool and then, you know, because the writers were requesting us. So that's the relationship aspect, right? It's like, oh, now the writers know us. They want to see us in their plays. And then we kind of like forced our way into Playground that way. And um, and then from there, that's when I started to get a little bit of more traction. People started to see more of my work. I started to work with different directors. And that's also like the relationship thing. And then I think after that... Um, I got, yeah, a little bit here, like Utopia or um, the free theater, or, you know, we were, we were doing little things here and there, anyone who could take an equity actor. And since I was working full time, I was doing a theater at night or on the weekends. And then finally, Christian got an in at Straight White Men um, at Marin Theater Company. And he at one of the opening nights for like Shakespeare in Love, I think, he introduced me to the casting director at Marin Theater Company. And he said, he's like, hey, Dory, this is my wife, Melissa. She's an actress and she's better than me. Right. <laughs> and, and, and so and so then they started, Marin Theater Company started calling me in for auditions. And I auditioned like, 
you know, two or three times before they, I finally landed the part in the Wickham's and, and, um, and that was sort of like a really huge break for me. So yeah. it's been a journey. And eventually I ended up quitting my, after like eight years, I, seven or eight years, I ended up quitting my day job um, because Yay. it was just too much. Yeah, I know. Right. It, it was too much. So to try to pursue acting full time, because I might have gotten some momentum with, with um, the Wickhams and then also with Anna Considers Mars, where Ruben Grijalva had, had written this amazing character where mm-hmm. I was shouldering the lead, you know? And, um, right. and so I, I really got to cut my teeth on that. Um, and, uh, and yeah, so that's, that's the, that's my origin story with theater. Yay. And we know Ruben too. Uh, yeah. yeah we've, great. we've interviewed Ruben and uh, he had me, who's doing, um, is he still doing film as well mm-hmm. as theater? I would imagine he's, he's yeah. being a papa more than anything. I think right now. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. He's starting his own family. It's fantastic. No, I met I met Ruben right around the time I think it was two thousand five or whatever. We did uh, he did Shadow Ball, uh, which he presented to a film festival, and I played uh, James Cool Papa Bell. Small oh, world. Cool. It's a very very small world. Yeah, yeah. Once um, you're in, yes. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Well, how how is Chris doing? How is your your husband doing? Is he Chris- getting? Is his uh, Christian? Is he as active in the theater? world as you are uh he is he's as yeah yeah um he uh well obviously not lately because none of us are working right now you know but he's also a company member at playground and he's doing he does you know he's someone who always needs to be busy so if he's not in a show he's either directing a show or producing a show so Mm -hmm. he's been uh he he directs uh, and he's a great director he's really he's really really good and honestly like my success i attribute to him not because I think he's you know oh my husband is giving me all this power that's not it it's like because we were actors together and we went to the same program we have a language that we can speak with each other um and this sort of working any any part that I have been in he has been like my coach on it like Mm -hmm. I you know, I'm still anxious and nervous and scared to make big choices and afraid to step in the shit, which is what our, what our uh, acting teacher would say, like, you know, to actually, so I will, I will work on these auditions or whatnot with him and even characters. uh, He was in Anna Considers Mars with me um, to build this character, to be, so to encourage me to get weirder and to get looser. And he'll just, you know, everything I do is, is with him as a sounding board so that I can gauge if I'm reaching my potential, you know, if mm-hmm. I'm, if I'm taking, um, if I'm taking brave steps, you know, because I am not always as brave as I could be, you know, because it's, it's acting, it's not easy, you know? So um, he's my champion, man. And he, he, if, if it weren't for him, I probably would have given up a long time ago, maybe because it's just so difficult to, to work your ass off and not get the part and not feel like you're being appreciated or not have control over your own <laughs> destiny. Yeah. Bless you, Norman. <clears throat> Bless you. Yeah, um, you know, it's uh, it's it's amazing. And we need people in our lives to sort of push us, you know, like we always remember a director or a uh, professor or an acting teacher, or mm-hmm. if you're lucky, a spouse to sort of say, hey, you can go further, you know, push, well, push, Well, and push. that spouse who can work with you. Yeah. You know, not just... Um, you're not in comp- well. You may be in competition, but it's a it's a productive confident uh, competition. Yeah, we really celebrate each other's successes. Like when he's in a show, or he got it, he got a TBA award for value over replacement Ruben's play, and I was just 
I, it was like I had gotten the award. I was so proud of him. (laughs) That's awesome. You know? So yeah, he does. He's, uh, he's truly like a a really great character actor. And we also, we're also very different actors. Like I start super heady and he starts super body. Like he's a, he's a really great character actor. He's like an animal on stage. Um, And then I start kind of like heady, small. I do the math or I'm really intellectual about it. And then I have to like, he pushes me to get it in my body, you know, and to kind Mm -hmm. of like, and then I also, for him, I will be like, all right, let's get a little bit more technical. Let's clean it up because he comes real big and real messy. And then we have to like, you know, whittle it down and be more specific. So that's sort of how we work with each other. And he's yeah. far kinder than I am. Like I'll give him direction and he'll be like, you can't say that to me. <laughs> <laughs> wow. He's like, Melissa, you can't mm. say that to me. I'm, you're making me feel like I don't know how to act. And I'm like, oh God. right yes don't do that melissa like i had a a quick i had a quick question for you because Mm -hmm. you had mentioned um you know i also came from a childhood of a bit of trauma you know Mm -hmm. i had some issues with uh, my mom and getting into acting you know one of the things that and something that norman and i've talked about you know when you're in an acting school a lot of the work that the professors or the teachers will do is to try to strip away the bad habits that we have or to try to um you know, I get one of my favorite phrases is uh, theater is therapeutic, but it's not therapy. You know, you you can't, you know, if you've got some internal issues that you need to work with, you need to deal with that first before you can step into a character or manipulate your emotions. You know, as actors, we, emotions are sort of like the basketball or the football and, you know, the greater you can manipulate it, then, you know, the better that you can be. Did you have, what was the transition between you getting over, you know, what you've had to go through to be sort of the actress that you are? Was it was that a hard transition? Um, actually, it it wasn't for me, um, and I think it's because um, I initially started theater because I wanted to escape who I was, right? So I wanted to just put on someone else and not be this terribly insecure, um, you know, riddled with self doubt, um, um, you know ugly girl, you know, and I, I struggled with like my self image and my self esteem for a really long time because of the, because of the uh, type of trauma and abuse that was happening in my household. Um, so the escape that I got from try- being able to be someone else, let being able to see people saw me differently. It kind of like expanded my world in a way And I realized that I didn't have to live like this, right? I had the power to change who I was and to grow in a direction that was different than where I had been. Um, And it really helped me build empathy for, for, you know, the abuser in my household, which was my father, Um, not to forgive him, um, but to accept him, you know, radically accept him for who he had been and, um, and understand where he was coming from um, to understand that, you know, his given circumstances turned him into this person who was making these terrible choices and doing these, you know, terrible deeds. So I think the perspective of how you get into a character, the, the, all the questions that you ask and, and analyzing like where these people are coming from actually made me realize that humanity isn't black and white. And I could process all of that in a way that that really helped me move forward. 
And also, um, I realized that, you know, I thought that like acting was about my emotions and being able to tap into them. And then my theaters, my theater teachers kind of shifted it into like, no, it's about how you're making other people feel. It's about putting all of that energy onto someone else. So I could stop thinking about me and I could focus on, you know, outside of me on everyone else. And that also helped me just, you know, be present and, you know, build that, you know, theater is, you know, now that I'm doing a lot of mindfulness practice, theater is a form of mindfulness, right? You know, it's like, you know, you have to focus on what you're doing, present-minded, doing the task at hand, affecting other people. And um, that's sort of how I grew with it, you know, and also, you know, I had a little bit of therapy and, um, and that kind of stuff to, to help me along. You're, with, so you're doing mindfulness work? Yeah, I'm doing the call map. I'm doing everything. So uh, with, um, with COVID-19, um, my anxiety sort of spiked in a way, and there were a few events that happened during COVID-19. And about October, um, I, uh, it, it spiked in a way that started to veer into depression. And I don't, I haven't dealt with depression very much, but there have been a few moments in my life where it was like, I am crying and I can't stop. And I don't know how to stop it. And this isn't anxiety anymore. Now it's just like this empty, weeping mess. And mm -hmm. I had a sense of humor about it. I called my doctor and I was like, I can't stop this. Like, can you figure that? I just don't know. She's like, are you okay? I was like, oh yeah, I just cry all the time now. <laughs> you know who I am, you know? <laughs> it's part of my charm. And so she, so uh, they, uh, Kaiser was able to like, um, uh, give me a prescription to, uh, to antidepressants, which I've never been on before. Um, a very low dose, which has been incredibly effective for me. And then, um, cognitive behavioral therapy. So I've been doing that. And then with that comes mindfulness. So it's been um, a real journey for me um, to practice all of this and to have the opportunity and the privilege to have health insurance and, you know, this resource that I can go to. And I'm totally unemployed right now. So this is like, mm -hmm. this is just what I'm doing, you know, with my time. I thought I would, you know, learn a different skill or something practical like project well, management it, it sounds like a skill <laughs> yeah, yeah right yeah, i was like i was like i'm gonna look into project management so i can earn some money and then i was yeah. like you know what no i'm gonna learn about therapy and fix this or you know not fix it i'm not broken but um but to learn how to cope with stress in a healthier way and so yeah, that's yeah and, I, and, and i think a lot of us are dealing with that if you could send us a link about mindfulness i'm sure a lot of folks who are listening to this could use yeah. or could learn a little bit more about that there's the call map, the call map. I know that um, that's been bouncing around Facebook a lot, but the call map um, on your phone, you can get it. It's rad and it helps you do some daily meditations and mindfulness and it's, it's, it's life-changing. It's been really, yeah, it's really, really cool. And uh, you mentioned, there are a couple of things that you mentioned. Uh, number one, you're absolutely right. We don't choose who we are. You know, mm -hmm. we are, we don't choose our family. We don't choose our situations. And a lot of times we don't even choose how we react to what's going on. You know, it's sort of like instinctual. And as we become adults, we realize, okay, that was then. Now let me deal with, you know, what's happening now. So it's, it's fantastic that you've reached that level where you're not, you're not handcuffed by your past you know, mm -hmm. that you can move forward. But also you mentioned something really interesting that acting is not so much about what the actor feels, but it's about how the audience feels. And that's a fascinating uh, concept. I guess it's a, it's, uh, you know, as an actor, I'm like, okay, well, if it's organic, if the emotion is organic in me, then it'll be organic for the audience. It's a total you... myth. <laughs> yeah, it's a myth. It's a myth. 
Right, right, exactly. <laughs> Norman, did you you have any thoughts on that as a director? You know, let's say an actor, and we've talked about this many, many times, where an actor's like, "Wow, I'm feeling it, I'm feeling it," and you know, the <laughs> director. Well, like, I mean, with a good actor, it's incredible. I remember the first time that I was in a production, I was actually assisting with the production. We had this major diva. And I was like, why is anybody putting up with this? This is, <laughs> this is horrible. But that's also what came on stage. And it was amazing. So for those people who can bring that to the stage, that's, that's you know, yay for them. And if that's part of their sanity or th how they manage their insanity, yay for them. Um, but yeah, with those, those younger actors who think, I'm feeling it. It's, you know, I've, um, I've been working teaching um i've been using some stanislavski to teach and i'm using that i think it's like chapter three or something where uh, there's a young actress maria and he says go up on stage and he first he tells her to sit still that exercise i'm doing with my kids um but then the exercise i'm trying to get to with them is the next one where he says so we're going to do a little scene um you're here with us and uh, you have to pay to be here with us and you don't have any money so you have a family gym, an heirloom, and you are going to pawn that so that you can pay to be here. But you've lost it. It's up, and you know there was a set for some show they were doing that was up there. So he's like, "It's I've I've hidden it up there on the set. Go find it." So coming out of melodrama, she runs up there and it's oh oh, and she does all this stuff and she runs around. And she comes back and she's flushed and, you know, she's just excited. And he says, how do you feel? She says, I feel great. And he asks the folks, how did they think? What did they think of it? And they said, well, she did, you know, she did all those melodrama things. She knew all of her manners and her postures. Um, and he says, great. So uh, where's the jewel? And she says, what? And he says, I really did hide a jewel up there. And if you don't find it, you will not continue with us. And she runs back on the stage and she does what we do when you're really looking for something. She checks some place and it's not there. And then she sits there in frustration and she goes and she checks some other places and then she goes back. How many times do you go back to the same spot because you don't know where else to look, right? She does all that. She comes down after a few minutes. She's panting. <laughs> she's excited, but she's not happy at all. And he turns to them and says, so how was that? And they were like, wow, no, we felt that. So instead of watching her do something, they experienced it with her. And I've, you know, trying to get that idea through to an actor, I don't need you to cry. I actually don't care if you cry. The easiest thing to teach an actor is to tell them, so I want you to just say, I'm not going to cry. Keep saying it over and over and over again. How many of you feel something? And inevitably, the majority of people go, yeah, wow. And I'm like, yeah, I would rather that you try not to cry on stage and let the audience see that than to see you up there trying to force these tears. <sighs> exactly. No, I completely agree. My acting, one of my acting teachers uh, from grad school would be like, I don't care how you feel. I care how you make me feel. You know, no. and that's the thing. And the only way we can make anyone feel anything is by doing something. We have to have that action. We have to have that objective and the stakes have to be as high as possible. If I don't get what I want, I will die. You yeah. know, wherever it is, it's like you, you just create that path, create that, that, that direct line from, if I don't get this, then I won't be able to eat. Then I'm going to lose my house. Then I'm going to lose my family. Then I'm going to be in the gutter dying right. alone. You know, th that's what you have to, that's what you have to draw. And then you have to do the opposite of like, if I do get this, 
I will fame, fortune. I will be right. set for life. I will have love. I will be happy. Right. So it's right. like you have. I, to I will be able to read. <laughs> exactly. I. You have to have that constant juxtaposition, and then you have to like use that to do something. And that's the thing it got. I mean, when I really figured that out and I really started to, it's one thing to know that it's another thing to do it. Right. And when my teachers were working with me, it was like the, it was such a relief because I didn't have to worry about this anymore. I didn't have to worry about my face or my hands or whatever. All I did was like focus on, you know, and sometimes it was Christian because he was in my acting class focus on Christian and make him do or feel, mostly feel, I make him feel something so that he would do what I needed him to do so I could survive, you know, and that action, emotions are a side effect. It's not the thing. Emotions are whatever. You have to do the thing. And if you always do that, then whether you cry or not, whether you get, you know, how angry you get or not, the story, it's in service of the story and people are there to watch you do something. And once you do that, then you're acting, then you're on that. And then what's great, it's not about you. It's not about me. I don't, it doesn't matter how I feel. Mm-hmm. It's how I make Christian feel. It's how I make the audience feel. And the audience is also also like the last thing on my list to worry about. Um, but like, I have to focus on that, which is, which is a relief. It's like, it takes all that pressure off of you. You don't have to generate anything. You don't have to, mm-hmm. you know, you just have to do your homework, build the foundation and <laughs> do, you know, do all that prep so that when you're on stage, your body is in a position to succeed and yeah. your mind is in a position to succeed. And then you just go, the roller coaster starts and you just take that ride. Exactly. Can it's all about the objective. Can you talk a little bit about Reg? Did you see uh, King Lear? Uh, King Lear. <clears throat> oh, wow. I didn't know. I didn't know that. She, I was didn't, one I... Of the, she was one of the evil sisters in King Lear. And I know Melissa. And I think I knew she, you were in the show. I'm not sure if I knew before that you were in the show. But I'm watching it. And I keep reminding myself, wait a minute. That's, that's, that's Melissa. That's Melissa. <laughs> and scene after scene, it happened a few times where I was just like, Damn, I'm like reminding myself the whole time. That's Melissa. I didn't feel like that's what I was seeing at all. I felt like I felt like you had become somebody else. And, Thank you so much. Oh, and so but my question to you about it is all that thing you're talking about, that sort of feedback mechanism of either feeding <laughs> off the audience or for your scene partner, you didn't have that luxury. Yeah, no, none of that shit was there. It was awful. It was because all the actors <laughs> were in their own spaces and then um uh, Neil put everybody together. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I had to do. Uh, yeah, it was. Uh, you can act any actor in King Lear. It was rough. It was really rough because, yeah, the, like the other person on stage with me is my lifeline. They're all I'm thinking about, right? Um, there, th- that's all I care about. So not having them was. It felt like I was smacking my ass off. I was like, um, my whole body was like, "You're lying. You're a liar." <laughs> No, but did did you guys have monitors for that? Well, we did, but you couldn't look at the monitor because if you were, yeah, if you were looking at the monitor, then you didn't look like you were looking at the person you were supposed to be looking in the thing. So I could just listen to them and like imagine that they were there. I, I, I didn't really like imagine their face or their body in front of me. um, Cause that was just too much for my imagination. So I'd be acting towards like a garden gnome in a Broncos uniform or like Yoda, a puppet of Yoda on one of our shelves, you know? And I was like looking at it and being like, okay, I was just trying to make 
that garden gnome feel like they were the scum of the earth, you know, or make, <laughs> make Yoda feel like, you know, he was a crazy idiot, you know, <laughs> like, that's what I was doing and hoping that what I was hearing from the monitor from whatever, kind of he like using the energy I was getting from the words only hearing it to react you know to allow that to affect me and then to to trampoline off of it to into another action of like of that it was it was it was it was, it was a unique it was very unique <laughs> yeah yeah it was really bizarre so I'm 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 glad that you know you thought it kind of worked. <laughs> yeah, well, you did what you have to do as far, you know, in the, well, I mean, all of us have to make the adjustment of acting on the camera and, you know, mm -hmm. doing these things and also making it as real as absolutely possible. Like we had rehearsal for this thing that I'm doing for Dragon. And of course the director's like, tone it down, tone it down, which is fine. You know, I'm, mm -hmm. I'd rather tone it down than to bring it up. Right. Um, I, I wanted to, uh, to because uh, one of the things about the EA, not only do we have this interview, but also I wanted to try to interact with folks who post on Facebook. And someone posted something interesting on Facebook. I'm not going to mention the person's name. This is a blatant reminder for folks on my Facebook. Please refrain from inviting me to your show-related events if they are written, directed, and performed exclusively by white people. Uh -huh. I'm just not interested at this point. Happy Friday, friends. Now, I don't know if this is right or wrong, because, I mean, sure, I understand that there's the, uh, you know, the, we want to have the theater community to be as, as, um, as multicultural and to tell multicultural stories as possible. And at the same ex exchange, I mean, racism on, by any means is wrong, even, right. you know, so do we have any thoughts about this post at all? Well, I would think like Melissa has, is in an interesting position for that because she's not a visible Latina. Yeah. I am. It's weird. <laughs> like, do you, do you, do you, because you use your last name, your, your maiden name, do you, do you get called in for stuff where they kind of go, Oh, wait, white girl, what's up? Yeah, no, dude, I, I use my last name. Ortiz is like my hook in, you know, a part of me is like, there's a little like negative, you know, whatever, but I'm like, I wouldn't have gotten to grad school if I, if I wasn't an Ortiz, like, you know, the okay. fact that I was an Ortiz, like, Help me get my foot in the door so I could be the token Latina in in the room. You know? Oh, you mean and affirmative action? Yeah, hopefully. Yeah. I yeah. mean, yeah, you know, they need, they were looking for diversity just as much as anyone else, right? We right. all, you know, hopefully are looking for diversity. And, and as a light-skinned Latina and as a light-skinned Latina who doesn't have um, any kind of accent as I speak English, because English is my first language, you know, right. um, I do speak Spanish. Um, I'm incredibly insecure about it because I've been shamed about it, you know, um, from my family and, sure. <laughs> you know, like, it's like, cause I'm not, you know, as Puerto Rican as I could be. And then in New York, forget it. Like they oh, were right. just like, ah! they were just like, there's no way you're Puerto Rican. Like if I, I didn't look to say, like you, you New York, Puerto Rican, no, no. If I didn't look like JLo or, you know, um, what's her name with a high voice? Um, oh, oh gosh. Uh, Marissa. White men can't jump. What's her name? Is it Marissa Tomei? Oh, no, she's, I think she might be Italian. But anyway, if I didn't oh. look super, um, if I didn't look super Puerto Rican, like they were just like, like they would challenge me. They'd be like, right. where were you born? And I was like, I was born in Puerto Rico. Well, no. What did your family, did your family speak Spanish? I was like, yeah. Do you speak Spanish? Yes, I speak Spanish. And then they'd be like, well, what did you eat growing up? And I'm like, bitch, I ate rice and beans and chuletas. <laughs> I'm like, what the fuck more do you want from me? Right, God. Like, 
you know, they're like, cause they would just be like, you're not, you're not Puerto Rican. And I was Blood like, test. I don't know because I'm not tan. And I was like, I don't know what else to tell you, but like my dad was a machismo asshole and I ate like rice and beans and I danced salsa. And I just don't know how much more I can prove to you who I am. So it was exhausting. And the agents that I had interviews with after my showcase would be like, well, uh, can you do In the Heights? Can you do West Side Story? And I was like, you just saw what I could do. Like, right. I'm actor first and I, and I will continue to be an actor first, you know, because I made that shift um, specifically so that I could have more longevity in my career, you know? Right. I was like, if I'm a strong actor, I can be a strong actor for the rest of my life. So it's been, it, it was, it was difficult, you know, to, to sort of straddle this line of like, white girl latina you know yeah. um well and, and to also keep people from making that such a stupid little box mm -hmm. when clearly you are yeah you and are then i just am i just i just am you know and so uh, a lot of people i do get called in a lot for uh latin plays all the time and every time i go in I'm like, they're not going to cast me because I'm not Latin enough. I just don't mm -hmm. fit the bill, you know? But then, and, and the other side, I'm like, you know, the Wickham's Christmas at Pemberley. I'm like, dude, they cast a Latina as Lizzie Bennett, you know? So that's good, but I look like a white girl. So it's like, there's this weird guilt I have on both sides that I'm like, I'm not Latina enough and I'm not white enough and I'm, or I'm too white. And I'm, it's just very... It's something that I had to like, just be like, you know what? I just am who I am and that is it, you know? Well, um, and I do think, and that's why I wanted to bring that up with you mm -hmm. because I feel like I've done that. I'm sure, Reg, you've done that where I'm not black enough. And then finally I had to get to the place where I'm like, no, I am. I represent a specific kind of black, but I am. I am not your South Central boy. That's never going to happen. I'm not going to be your sports guy. That's not going to happen. I'm not a gangbanger. That's not going to happen. And it gets into but if the that's all you know, then yeah. let me show no. you the other side. Yeah, I was just going to say. Malcolm Little became Malcolm X. Right, exactly. I was just going to say a lot of one. Some of the problems with casting directors or directors is that they have a stereotype of what they see. It's like, no, you can't be Latina because you don't look Latina mm -hmm. in their, you know, because of an image that they see. You know, mm -hmm. all black people. Like I remember doing a, uh, I auditioned and they wanted me to dribble a basketball, and you know, <laughs> I ah. like I like football, you know, and I guess the guy was like, well, all black folks don't, you know, you don't know how to dribble a ball. And so I wasn't cast. So there are these stereotypes that are around and we have to sort of, you know, destroy these stereotypes. So, yeah. Yeah. And I think about like the, the more to the question that you were asking about the comment on Facebook, like I understand um, that reparations are needed and necessary and they're necessary about, you know, about the culture that we live in and the white supremacy that we're dealing with, you know, um, but they're not everything, you know, it's like, there's still room for everyone to participate in theater, you know, even if they're white, you know, um, just because they've gotten opportunity in the past doesn't necessarily mean that they don't deserve opportunities in the future. And also like opportunities where they're not playing the racist white person. You know? <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, mm -hmm. like it's not, you know, I, I hope um, for the health of the theater that like we can continue to include everyone who wants to play and just make room, just make more theater and and see it all because everyone has an important story to tell. Yeah. Um, no matter what the color of their skin is. Um, I want sure everyone to work. Yeah, yeah I want sure everyone open. 
Exactly. I want everyone who's good to work, you know, and I want everyone who's bad to also work. And I just don't watch their place. <laughs> and, and to grow, to be better. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. You got to start somewhere. You got to suck sometimes, you know, you got to start bad and then you get better and we all grow and learn from each other. So that's good. Yeah. Yeah. In what, terms of the um, what shows, if somebody's going to support shows, and I definitely do that in terms of TV, TV and film, I have to say, um, you know, Jeff Daniels, I think, is an amazing actor. I get, I cringe and he's part of a category of actors where I cringe. I'm like, okay, let me, I'll watch the commercial. I'll watch the trailer. Are there any non-white people in this at all? And Jeff Daniels became my poster boy for that because I'm like, dude, I'm sure in your personal life, this is not an issue, but in the work you do, how can you possibly do something set in New York and we never see anything but white people? Yeah. At work, on the subway, in the stores, yeah. restaurants, cafes, what the <laughs> hell? And I used to think that way about Matthew McConaughey. Uh, you know, he started his career sort of as the, you know, the brat pack, you know, young kid and, you know, the handsome actor. And he was doing all these things that appealed to white folks. But then he started doing Amistad and Free State of Jones. And the Lincoln lawyer, which dealt with black issues, you know, it dealt with, you know, like slavery and post-slavery era or let's say the civil rights movement. So it, it, it and it reminds me of um, who's the actress who played um, I'm thinking Mad Men. She was Betty. Um, oh, shucks. Elizabeth Moss. Elizabeth mm -hmm. Moss. She is, I mean, pre-COVID, you know, I think the last movie she was in was uh, this horrible remake of The Invisible Band. But she injected like her love interest was a black guy. And she was, uh, she was, she had this interesting storyline of incorporating herself with uh, a black family and trying to communicate with, you know, the black daughter of the love interest that she had. And I was like, wow, this is a direct choice. So I think what we're all saying is, whether it be theater or television or whatever, you could be whatever color you are. We don't choose, you know, who we are, but just make sure the doors are open. Just, you know, make sure that there is inclusivity for everybody. And I think that's what the, you know, the person who was making the post was saying. We've hit the one hour mark, but I wanted to, um, one last question for you, Melissa. Um, where do you see yourself in the future for you and uh, Christian? Uh, is, is, do you see yourself staying in the Bay Area? Is, are you getting what you need out of Bay Area theater? That's a, that's a great question. I don't know. Um, I think uh, COVID has really just made me stay as present as I can. You know, um, currently we're, I'm working on a one person show Yay! with right Playground on. for the Solo Fest. Um, Nady Rojo wrote it for me. Um, she, it's a, she made me a former supermodel, which was insane. I was like, of course, I was like, I can't be a supermodel. Oh, <laughs> oh my sure God, I can. can't do it. And then I was like, Melissa, shut the fuck up. Because if you were talking to anyone else, you'd be like, yeah, you can do that. Just put on the supermodel and do it, you know? So, mm -hmm. um, but, uh, but yeah, so uh, we're trying to do, to see what our future is in the Bay, you know, with patience and time, you know, like um, the, the drawback of the Bay Area is that it's difficult as an equity actor to produce your own work. Yeah. Um, and that is uh, something we've really been struggling with because um, there's not enough work to go around for actors and it's still very much about uh, who you know and, and networking and all of that. And I'm not super great at that. I'm just- I, I, wish, I, wish, the, um, I wish the union 
you know, as a union person, I wish the union wasn't there a little bit of flexibility about self-producing for a moment. Yeah, I, you know, I think that there's not enough flexibility for the types of shows that you can do. So there's not enough flexibility for shots. It just doesn't fit right. into any, no, it doesn't. any, any format. So it's hard for us to produce that. And, you know, it's just difficult to produce anything really. Um, and we have like a member project code, but that it can't be affiliated with the theater company. So you can't like brand it. It's, it's very, right. it's just, it's really difficult. So that I, I find is a problem. And unless I can continue to produce, you know, we can continue to produce our own work. There's just not enough work in the Bay area to go around and, and make a living, you know? Um, so that's the challenge I think of the Bay. Um, but, you know, we also get to live in the Bay and work with these wonderful actors and, you know, and live in this culture, um, which is also really lovely. That was my husband getting a bag of chips. I don't know if you heard him. Ah, yay, <laughs> Christian, he can Christian. say hi. Yeah. <laughs> I think he's in his pajamas. I, I doubt he wants to be. Uh, he wants to see. I think him. I've seen Christian in his pajamas. I feel like you've seen Christian, like, yeah. And, and I have seen I, it got to be a running joke with my wife that uh, if Christian was going to be in something, whether or not he'd be in drag. <laughs> there yeah, was, there totally. Was like <laughs> in drag or without a shirt on or with a weird wig on or. Anything. Right. The first thing she saw him in was uh, we did the shots where he played. There was a couple. It was him and Anne mm -hmm. um, cross dressing. It was. <laughs> it was so fun. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, what the future will bring, I don't know. I hope that I can continue to to work in the Bay and get some work and, and we can, you know, Christian and I can both thrive here. Um, and we'll see, we'll see what it brings, you know, one day at a time. Yeah. Well, I mean, um, Playground loves you and uh, Marin no. Theater Company loves you. Um, so see. I don't know. <laughs> they changed casting directors. I'm like, I don't know, man. Or have they changed again? <laughs> Yeah, well, because, uh, oh, I forgot his name for some reason. Pat Patrick, was that his name? Um, he uh, He's going to like law school or something. So oh. he's just like, peace. Yay for I'm him. Like, Man, that's awesome. Good for you. If I could quit, I would. <laughs> Unfortunately, I'm obsessed with it. I'm just addicted right. to this. And if I'm not doing it, I'm miserable. So I have no choice. I'm in it for life. And that's just how it is. No, well, I mean, you're you're fantastic, and like uh, I said, you know, you, you the very little piece that you did of mine uh, was was just wonderful, and uh, we knew we had to have you on. Aww, so thank, thank you, you, thank you so much. Shout outs, birthdays. Uh, birthdays. I'm gonna try and skip the ones I know you're gonna talk about. Uh, Taylor Valentine is a young man that I worked with a long time ago, and he's been in New York for probably a couple of decades now. So no longer a young man. Um, his birthday is today. Um, I'm skipping. Uh, Venmo Ibrahim is somebody I went to San Francisco State with, and she has been uh, doing. Wow, I misspelled her name. It said Venmo. No, Denmo. Denmo. <laughs> yeah, and she was she was part of our uh, the Breck project. Uh, she wrote a piece. I wrote a piece, and uh, right. we, uh, Yeah. Oh, did she write the um the the, the Jewish uh, wife? The Jewish wife. Oh, okay. No, no, no. Uh, Catherine Castiano, um, somebody I didn't even know up until a few years ago and then suddenly her career has just been inspirational she's been all over the country she's amazing she's been up in ashland she's uh, a big deal i i always ask like i secretly she doesn't know me i've never met her but like i i want to play her daughter one day you know i'm like yeah no, she, like and she's so sweet to work with <laughs> oh my god 
Uh, Joy Meads uh, was a Bay Area person who went away and then has come back and is at ACT. Um, Larry Allen is um, an actor. I'm not sure we've ever even seen each other, but um, he's um, he follows me on Facebook. And so, um, I, let's see, Holly Maddox is somebody I worked with a long, long, long time ago, I think in the early years of Oakland Public Theater. And then the last one I have is Jola Branner. Jola is was a dancer, but he was also one of the founders, the originators of Afropomo Homos, this wonderful little troupe. It was three people, him, Brian Freeman, and oh my gosh, I should know the other guy's name. Uh, the three of them were doing this amazing work. It was a little bit, a little bit sketch comedy, a little bit solo performance. Um, each of them playing to their own strengths. And um, and I knew him when I was at San Francisco State. He was in the dance department, got his master's degree. It was a new thing at this point, a master's degree in Afro-Haitian dance. And then moved to, met the love of his life and moved to Minnesota. <laughs> and has been there ever since. So those are my birthdays for the week. Okay, and you mentioned Denmo. Um, also on Monday is Jennifer... Medeiros, I would think I'm pronouncing the name correctly. She and I were in Candide. She has a magnificent voice, and she's a cancer survivor. And uh, so I want to celebrate her. On Tuesday, Jackie Castileo Guigona. Uh, she is a Philippine actress. She was in my little play, uh, Ang Espia. She was the. Oh, uh, I like mother. that one. Yeah, she played the mother. Uh, that was uh, another Brechtian dystopian piece that I uh, wrote, and she was fantastic in that. On Wednesday, Sherelle Elan. She is a Ellingtonite who uh, graduated along with me, and uh, she's been in Hollywood, and she's doing all sorts of cool things. I think she was in a, um, oh, is it a Tom Cruise or a, um, a Christian Bale um, independent piece? It was several years ago, but in any case, she's doing really, really well. On Thursday, Dup Croissant. Dup Croissant is a drummer, He's also a, um, a musical writer. Uh, he's worked with Plethos, and uh, I, he and I worked on Women on the Verge of a Nervous Breakdown. Um, just a magnificent uh, drummer. Um, he had a replacement come on one night, and we could tell the difference. I was like, wow, forget about that guy. We want Dup in. Bring him in. <laughs> nice. Um, and that is it. I think uh, these others are Saturday, and I will save that for next week. For next week, yeah. Shows or later today. Uh, so the only show, and I put it in the um, I put it in the chat was uh, Playground is coming up. I'm, I'm directing I'm directing the opening piece on this Monday. Um, it's a fun, uh, the theme is uh, reunification, which you know couldn't be more appropriate as we move towards this um, inauguration. Um, and the writers, the range of them is amazing. I read the all the submissions so i know what we got and what we've got is this beautiful range of stuff <clears throat> and my actors are fantastic so Yay. i'm thrilled about that um the other ones i wanted to mention are all actually different projects soul if you haven't seen soul pixar's new disney's new soul um dorian lockett was in it margo is in Margot's it. margo's in it yeah yeah um and and it's even if I didn't know people in it, because honestly, their roles just kind of go by, zip. But uh, it's fantastic. Oh, and Marcus uh, Shelby, I think, helped put the music together for it. Um, Bay Area guy. 
Uh, if you have not seen Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, holy cow. <laughs> I, I can't say enough of it. Coleman Domingo, one of our local um, heroes, uh, is in it. And fantastic, amazing performance. But Chad, Chadwick Boseman's final performance, you get to see the range of stuff that this man... You can see it in this one performance. You see this incredible range of stuff. But then when you compare it to all his other film work, you're just like... Wow, we really did lose something. This man was a, a shooting star. And then the last uh, thing I'll mention is, and I posted it on Facebook, Ron Drell is living now in L.A. and got, um, got featured in a magazine. So there's a nice little write-up about him, and I posted that on Ron Facebook. Ron Drell McCormick, I, I right on. Reposted to the yay. Cool. I've got a couple of things that I got to really rush through because I've got six minutes before I do onto my other ding, thing. Ding, 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 ding. Uh, but Plethos is uh, doing a. Um, oh, the uh, reflection is really, really horrible. In any case, uh, yeah, there, there we go. The Fami Awards. They're doing Fami Awards and season announcement soiree, and that'll be tonight at 7 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. And I will have a link to that for those who want. To Oh, shucks. Can you hear me? Can you hear yeah. me? Yes. Okay, good. Yep, yep, uh, yep. The fam it's a FAMI Award, so that will be, I'll put a link on that for those who want to, at the last minute, uh, get a ticket for that. Also, uh, the rehearsal that I'm about to do, uh, we're going to perform tomorrow, Dragon's Nest Presents Dragon Eggs. That'll be tomorrow, 2 p.m., and I'll put a link for that. Uh, there'll be a couple of uh, short one-act pieces, and I'm involved in uh, one of those. Uh, also directed by um, uh, Kimberly Ridgway. Tony Yay. Morrison's The Bluest Eye, Aurora Theater's doing that, directed by Don Monique Williams. That will be actually a little bit later, April the 9th through May the 21st, but they're advertising it now, and we'll want to uh, advertise that. And the very last thing, Theater First is doing an auction across the line, finishing the 40K marathon. Their auction is on the 18th, which is a couple of days from now, the 18th through the 24th, and the gala is on the 24th. So if anyone wants to contribute to that, uh, we'll have a link to that as well. And that is it. Melissa, did you have a good time? Uh, I had a blast, you guys. I was so nervous. <laughs> oh, oh, you're you. fantastic. You're great. Yeah, thank, thank you, you so much. Yeah, thank you for being so open. I think, uh, you know, a lot of people will get a lot of inspiration from, um, from this interview. Great. Thank I hope you. so, yes. Yeah. All righty, here's my blurb. Uh, you're probably listening to this or uh, watching this on YouTube. If you're on YouTube, please like and subscribe, you know, hit the thumbs up button and also let us know in the comment section how we can improve the show, what you like about the show, any comments at all. If you're listening to this on any podcast app, we're on all podcast app apps. We're on Spotify. We're on that little purple podcast app. You can search for us. If you're a uh, uh, an Android user, you can use the SoundCloud app or just go on soundcloud.com and you can find us. The was created by theater people for theater people. If you have a show you want to advertise or if you just want to advertise yourself, let us know. Hit us up on Twitter, Instagram, Snapchat. I'm at Reg Space Clay. And I'm at Hoosier Hoosier. Melissa, uh, is there any uh, social um, media that people can, you know, uh, reach you? I don't know. I don't think so. <laughs> well, you are on Facebook. On Facebook. Uh, and I think uh, I'm Melissa on Instagram. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, so any directors who are looking for a fantastic actress, uh, you can't go wrong with Melissa Haynes or Melissa Ortiz. Well, that is it. Thank you so much. <laughs> and uh, I'm going to jump immediately out of here. And as Norman and I always say, we've we got to find the better sign-off. And we are out. <laughs>